Catherine. Uh, we're here today to discuss uh, the Miles Franklin Awards. Uh, I have my uh, young colleague Nissa with me today. Hello. And um, so uh, the Miles Franklin Award is, of course, an Australian award, and uh, Nissa uh, and I have both enjoyed these books very much. Uh, Nissa, um, did you want to um, just describe the books that we are going to discuss today? Sure. So uh, the first book we've got is The Lebs by Michael Muhammad Ahmed. And that was published by Hache in 2018. I know, Catherine, you've been raving about that particular book. Yeah. Uh, the next one we've got is A Stolen Season by Rodney Hall. And that was published by Picador uh, 2018. Then we've got uh, The Death of Noah Glass by Gail Jones, published by Text Publishing in 2018, followed by Too Much Lip by Melissa Lukashenko, uh, published by the University of Queensland Press 2018. There are two more books uh, on the Miles Franklin shortlist that we didn't get time to review, or we won't have time to review, uh, but they are A Sand Archive, Gregory Day by Picador, uh, 2018, and Discronia by Jennifer Mills, Picador, 2018. Um, so these books have won uh, several awards, um, and they are on the shortlist, of course, for the Miles Franklin. Uh, one involves, I think, um, gosh, which one? So the Sand Archive is basically about a young writer who's looking into the history of the great Australian, um, the Australian Great Ocean Road, um, and then finds himself focusing on the life of one, it's, one of its engineers instead. And the other one, Dyscronia, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, it won a science fiction award and it involves the sea, a small town and an oracle. But those are the ones we're not going to be discussing. Uh, first up, let's go to Catherine's book, the Lebs by Michael Muhammad Ahmed. So you really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, Nissa, I was telling you that I was really blown away by the quality of the writing. Um, it's not the first uh, novel by um, uh, Michael Muhammad Ahmed, but um, he, he was a uh, recipient of the uh, Sydney Morning Herald Young Writers Award uh, some years ago. Um, and he's established um, a writing group in Western Sydney called Sweatshop. Um, so, look, um, this novel really made me think of um, a book of the same quality of, say, um, J.D. Salinger's uh, Catcher in the Rye, because it is a coming-of-age novel in a way, um, set in Western Sydney and mainly at Punchbowl Boys High. Um, but the, um, his writing style is really, it's visceral, and yet it's lyrical, it's poetic, it's romantic. It's, it's totally like a punch in the gut, this, his writing style. And yet, you know, there's that corollary of that beauty of our language and the poetry of his language. He is such a major talent. Um, I don't normally read from books, but I just wanted to read this one because he's just discussing, because he's at Punchbowl Boys High and he thinks he's, his name is Banny Adams and the, the kids in his school sort of chanted him, Banny Adams thinks he's better than us. And, you know, that's kind of the crux of this story because, you know, he 
does that hyper masculinity that is sort of the whole it's rife within uh, punch ball boys high is you know the norm so you know this um this kid is um i mean this young man is kind of sensitive in a way but he's also tough i mean i i just love the nuance in this book you know, um, he's actually a boxer. I mean, he's physically a tough boy. And, you know, to mix it with his peers, this group of um, young men that he kind of goes through um, senior high school with is so um, telling. I mean, it's a glimpse into the lives of these young, um, you know, uh, mainly Middle Eastern, but all Muslim boys. Um, is really something that's rare. So, I mean, this has received a lot of very good um, critiques, but uh, and, and, and I absolutely just loved the writing, the quality of the writing. But, I mean, it, it, the narrative is almost stream of consciousness. There's not a lot of, you know, punctuation. But as I said, it's just lyrical and it's quite beautiful. So you have this sort of real um, contrast of... Of kind of feelings, um, you don't you don't hear much about his parents or his siblings, which I think is really good. He just concentrates on what happened to him in school, and towards the end, there's a period once he's done his HSC when he's working for a um, create a creative organisation in Bankstown, where he's you know, sort of learning to um, contribute, and he's kind of I think he describes himself as Arab X. It's a sort of a theatrical group, and he feels in some ways he's the token Arab. Um, so, you know, there's just so much nuance and beauty to this book. So I loved it. Just wanted to, um, I just want to read you a couple of sentence, sentences because this is, um, he's talking about his teacher, Leila Hami. I think that's how you pronounce it, Nissa. Um, and she's the one, she's his English teacher and she's the one teacher that gets him, you know. And um, he says, um, so she's leaving. She's actually leaving the school. So he's pretty gutted about this. And he says, on her final day, she didn't hug me goodbye or even shake my hand. I knew why, because I was thinking, don't touch me. I'll die if you touch me. Mrs. Layla Hammy just winked at me and whispered, a year from now, you will have left me where the weeds decay. Then suddenly I remembered reciting the ending of Lolita to her, tears forming around my eyes. And I said, what about the rest, Mrs. Leila Hami? Oh, yes, she said. Well, the rest is rust and stardust. And I knew then as clearly as I know I am to die that I loved Mrs. Leila Hami more than anything I had ever seen or imagined on earth or hoped for anywhere else. Wow, yeah. quality of his writing. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, um, like it is visceral. Takes your breath away. Loved it. So, you know what? Grab that book, mm -hmm. people. And then maybe I think people might be interested in listening to the, or watching the documentary Once Upon a Time in Punchbowl, which I think was put out by SBS many years yes. ago. And we have a copy in the collection, so That's, check that out. Absolutely. Because the, the whole, uh, um, you know, sort of the... Uh, the milieu of this novel is Bankstown. He mm -hmm. describes it so beautifully in Western Sydney. Um, but the second book um, by Rodney Hall, A Stolen Season. Now, look, Rodney Hall is uh, one of the older writers, one of Australia's 
established older writers. And you know what, Nissa, I had a look to see what else we had, and we don't have very much of Rodney Hall. Now, he's published 12 novels. He, um, um, very few of them are still in print. But when I was looking, I think, you know, we had maybe one paperback novel. So it, it's, it's kind of, you know, a situation where his perhaps um, novels, because he's had this body of work over many years, has gone in and out of fashion. But this definitely resonates, this book. It, it, you know, he um, is uh, the, he's already won two Miles Franklin Awards, Rodney Hall. And um, this is actually uh, a book that combines three stories. There's Adam. Adam's life has been ruined by war. So he's a veteran of the Iraq conflict and he's been, you know, badly damaged physically. Mariana has been ruined by men, a woman who's had to flee her country. Um, and she has taken up residence in a European city. And, and the final story is John Phillips. Um, and he has had an inheritance and he receives this surprise inheritance that kind of changes his, his life. So a lot of this book is, is really clever. I mean, the stories sort of intersect towards the end. I think, you know, the main, like the, the I think you, the connection you really make, um, well, I did was with Adam, the veteran, and his, you know, relationship with, uh, you know, his, um, his wife. So, um, it's subtle in many ways. It's kind of sly and funny. It's satirical. And it's a kind of good old-fashioned read uh, and, and just written by a real consummate artist. You know, I, um, I, re I really love this book. I'm, I haven't quite finished it yet, but so far I've really enjoyed it. So those three, three stories do intersect. And they work out, you know, quite nicely. They, they seem to be coming along really nicely. So really excellent writing. He's been compared with Joyce and Garcia Marquez. And, you know, that is not an exaggeration. Actually, I'll just quickly read a little, a little line from this one. Um, so this is about Adam. And um, it's talking a bit about... Um, Oh, where to think? You know what? I've actually lost the place. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nissa. So maybe we'll have to skip that or come back to it. But it was, I just wanted to describe, you know, the quality of his writing. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of really clever and, and you know, it's um, it's quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. Anyway, look, tell me a bit about your, your books. Yeah, okay. So the first book I'm going to talk about is The Death of Noah Glass. Um, so the, uh, this particular book was written by Gail Jones, who's actually been shortlisted or longlisted for the Miles Franklin for a number of uh, her works previously, previously, including 60 Lights, Dreams of Speaking, Sorry, and Five Bells. Uh, this particular book, I think it's possibly just been longlisted for the Stella Prize. Oh. Um, I only just read that, so I'll have to check that, but it's definitely been shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Fiction, and it has been longlisted for the ALS Gold Medal 2019. Yeah, now, um, now, Gail Jones has been on the HSC list of um, authors, quality authors too, yeah. with five bells. Yeah, and I think she, she teaches at... Uh, I think right now at Western Sydney, uh, I think before that Sydney. So um, anyway, so this particular work has been received incredibly well and I really, really enjoyed the experience of reading it. So the book 
It is, well, so the title is The Death of Noah Glass and it revolves around three main characters. So the main character is obviously uh, Noah Glass, then you've got Martin Glass and Evie Glass. Um, and it sort of revolves around uh, those three characters. So the book plays a little bit like a mystery as you start reading it. It feels like a mystery based on the title, of course, and the fact that about at the halfway point, um, the book begins to move into the actual events of the death of this particular character. Um, but it's not simple. It's not simply like um, your usual mystery. It's it focuses on so many different themes. It's got it focuses on art. Like the concept of art is really um, prevalent throughout the whole book, uh, partly to do with the professions of at least two different characters. Well, in some ways, all three characters are very focused on art, you know, an artist, art historian, someone who knows a lot of facts and figures about arts and so forth. Um, so art is a major theme, time, grief, um, the relationship between siblings, uh, relationships between parents and children. Um, and there's so much about family there, like or love of family. Uh, so it's got it explores so many different themes, uh, which and I guess there's a lot of themes, but it's it's there's a mystery there at the heart of it. But it's not what the book is all about. Uh, so it's quite interesting. Um, the setting it's, it's contemporary art. It is, yes, there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And the the setting I found was one of the the strongest points of the book for me. So the author takes such care to give us this really rich scenery to paint it so vividly. Um, so you've got uh, most of the action takes place in either Sydney or Palermo in Italy. Um, so the way she describes Palermo with, am I saying that right? I'm just <laughs> The place Palermo. in Italy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty close. Apologies if anyone's from there and I'm just massacring it. Um, so uh, when uh, when he refer when sorry when she refers to this Italian city, let's call it, uh, she talks about palm trees without palms. She talks about the smells, the sounds, um, the rundown parts of the city, uh, the glitzy parts of the city, the the churches that are just everywhere. Um, you know, the poor Indian and African migrants in Italy. And that's one thing I quite like, mm -hmm. showing migrants in all these different countries um, and sort of what they have to go through. You know, there are real prisons because I was in Italy last year and, yep, there are refugees, the migrants. Yeah, and so... that presence in Italy that yeah. changed the face of the country. Exactly. So they are part of the scenery for better or worse, but they are part of the scenery and it's, it's good that that's being depicted there. Yeah. Um, and then when she talks about Sydney, you've got the, the terrace houses you've got Chinatown you've got the harbour George Street um, so all of that uh, is is painted in such vivid detail and I if you think about it it, it almost has like echoes of this 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 because there's such a focus on art um, in the book in terms of the profession of certain um, characters in it, um, it, it there's an interesting parallel I think it's because of that that all these the, the scenery is painted in such vivid detail. And I think that has echoes um, of artwork, I guess, and how that works. Uh, so that I found that really interesting because um, you immediately know you're in Sydney, just the way it's been described. Um, uh, there's like rain and thunderclouds make a lot of appearances throughout the book. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the symbolism for that was. I'm sure there is a deeper meaning that um, is there and that that's what it refers to. But that was echoed throughout. Perhaps portentous, you know, the sort of... Uh, Could be. 
you know, sort of predicting portent yeah. or things to come. That... Yeah, it, it could be that, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, it certainly add, added to that sort of atmospheric feel. Um, what else did I really like about it? The chapter transitions. Again, I, I don't think I've seen a, a, a really interesting chapter transition like that since I read the Michelle Lloyd Marmer biography. So at the end of one chapter, um, the character Martin goes into an establishment for a drink. Uh, so that's at the end of one chapter. And at the beginning of the next chapter, uh, Noah emerges from an establishment after having a drink. And I, I, I quite like that because you're reading it and then it takes you a few seconds to realise, oh, we've switched characters now. So we're on to the bit about the different character. Wow, that's clever. I know. And it was, it, it was done, it was, it was so smooth the way it was done because so you're, you're already in the story when you realise, oh, my gosh, yes, we've, we've switched characters now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a little bit of that back and forth switching between times uh, and characters until you reach a point where the events begin to sort of converge and it all comes to the present tense. Uh, and that was, like I said before, about the halfway point um, of the book. Uh, there are some really interesting facts uh, that you find from the book. So there's uh, the, this, um, this saint called Santa Rosalia, and at the shrine people offer silver body parts so body parts are rendered into like well from silver mm-hmm. um and that is to say there's a character whose child has a, a hearing impairment so um they would put a silver pair of ears there um or someone who wants a child a silver womb there and i just that's such a lovely cultural detail i found um you know to sort of uh, you know to to encourage fertility with the womb or hearing with the ears so i just thought it was a lovely little uh thing that was included there um and it's kind of a universal um emotion isn't it exactly yeah um and there was also this interesting thing about the same shrine where you have notes with pleas about certain things please get me a job uh please um and this is universal across shrines different religions different parts of the world absolutely um uh, so, you know, sort of people expressing all of their their fears and their hopes and all of that in these little notes. And the author made this really interesting... The Wailing Wall in Jerusalem? Yeah. People the... put their notes into the wall? Exactly, yeah. And people... Um, the author made this really interesting um, comparison when she's talking about one particular character who goes and sees all this. She talks about the character thinking that this is so many it has some commonalities with talkback radio so there are not many places left today where people can do that except for talkback radio and when I first read that I thought gosh talkback radio doesn't have the best reputation and it seems like a very odd comparison but then you think about it wow that's actually kind of true Mm -hmm. um so that I found that quite interesting um certainly I mean that's a platform for the every person exactly yeah the last bit I'd probably say, um, the language was interesting. Uh, so a lot of the characters, they speak in, there's Italian, of course, present throughout because it happens, a lot of the events happen in Italy, but there's also particular dialects from that particular region that people speak in. Um, and there was an interesting phrase. I'm trying to find what that means. It's called, you are making another hole in the water. And I think it sort of is, the impression I got from the context was that it sort of means something, whatever you're doing is kind of futile or maybe something like that but I've been trying to look for it and I can't quite find what that means online so if anyone's listening and they know um Mm -hmm. when we post this on YouTube or any other um medium of ours that has comments please let us know because I think we'd like to know what that means exactly yeah but I, I get the feeling you're right it it 
definitely um, uh, um, would refer to something you know, of that. Some, you know, the, the futility of doing. Yeah. Well, I just yeah. thought it was a delightful phrase, basically. Um, so yeah, so that was the death of Noah Glass. Again, I can't recommend it enough. Excellent, excellent book. Um, it's it's really easy to get through. Vivid, vivid detail in terms of the imagery. Characters are well-rounded. Um, so many great things about family and grief and art and time. So read it, <laughs> anyone yeah, out there. Sounds like a real cracker. Yeah. I, I'm so impressed by the quality of the Miles Franklin um, shortlist. Yeah, this, look, this is excellent. And, and the fact that it's won so many awards just as a testimony mm. uh, to that. Um, the next book I got, um, so I'm currently reading that. I haven't finished it yet. It's called Too Much Lip by Melissa Lukashenko. Uh, so this particular author has been long listed for the Miles Franklin for a book called uh, Mulambimbi, um, and the book itself has been shortlisted for the Stella Prize in the part. Oh, Stella Prize! I guess I didn't realise the shortlist was out. Anyway, the Stella Prize, the Victorian Premier's Literary Award, New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards, um, the Australian Book Industry Awards, amongst mm. many others. So this book has also had. Um, quite a lot of interest um so yes it has i've heard uh, maria uh luca lukashenko um uh interviewed on um bookshelf the radio program yeah um and uh and Malambimbi, which is you know a northern new south wales town mm-hmm. um is um is quite good but anyway tell us about it yeah so the author is an indigenous woman uh she's of indigenous and european heritage as her um i think her bio states and it's interesting when you read the book, so the very first page, I mean, even if you hadn't looked at the artwork or maybe a genre sticker that has the Aboriginal flag, um, all of the ways in which you can tell that this book may have something to do with Indigenous, like an Indigenous story, even if you ignore all of that, when you land on the very first page, every five sentences or so, you have a word um, that sounds like it might be an Indigenous one. And then immediately puts you in the setting. You just land there in that setting, uh, so you know exactly what's what sort of story, not what sort of story, but what sort of setting the story will have. Um, so it was quite interesting. And I I assumed that these were indigenous words, but when I actually looked some of them up, it turns out that these are actually Aboriginal English words. Um, and Aboriginal English words, it turns out. Um, so Aboriginal English is considered a dialect of English, a dialect of Australian English. Um, and what it does, it, it uses English words, originally English words, but in different ways. And some of the ones all of us may be familiar with are like mob, deadly, and so forth. So these mean something slightly different uh-huh. um, in Aboriginal English. And then that then becomes popular, so it spreads out. Uh-huh. Um, but there are also words that share a certain continuity with Indigenous words. So that is basically what Aboriginal English is. Um, so there's a lot of it in there. I mean, if the first page is about, like I said, one word, at least one word, every five sentences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm guessing this book, the book is going to be uh, full of them. So that's really interesting. Like that language really gets you in it. It really um, anchors you in that setting of this is what um, the, the book is going to be about. Um, so the book sort of employs a bit of magic realism. Um Again, that's in the few pages that I have read, so I'm guessing there's a lot more of that. And some of the themes the book touches on are, again, family, a little bit like the other one, family, community, racism, of course. So there are specific issues 
faced by indigenous people, but there are also some more universal ones. I think there's also mention of um, the prison system as well, or at least characters who are in prison. And I know the author has something to do with prison reform or she advocates on, on, on part of people for prison reform or something. Yeah, so she's definitely. Yeah, so she's incorporated she's that into the book. She's an activist, Indigenous for Indigenous rights. Um, yeah, and I read a bit of the book myself and, uh, you know, I also noticed, um, you know, Indigenous history, you know, the First People history, particularly of her her country, which is the northern part of New South Wales. Mm. And I think she incorporated the, the, the piece um, that I read was um, a story of, um, you know, her some of her ancestors mm. and kind of how it related to you know, present-day Indigenous experience. She's a very clever writer. Yeah, so it's, look, that, like I said, I haven't read much of it, but it is shaping up to be a very promising read, so I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So that was my book. Well, those were my books, Mm -hmm. and we've got two of yours. As I said in the beginning, there are two more books um, on the short list, Mm -hmm. Uh, A Sand Archive by Gregory Day and Dyscrania by Jennifer Mills. So those are definitely, definitely worth checking out. Yes, we urge you to um, read them all. Um, The library certainly has them, so reserve them or grab them. So look, Nissa, yeah, it's been great. I've really enjoyed my reads this um, this uh, episode. And, Same. Um, yeah, thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Yeah, if you'd like to subscribe, you can subscribe directly through iTunes podcasts by looking up Power Up Pods. You could go to the Podbean app if you've downloaded it and look for Power Up Pods there, or you could go to the library catalogue and under our blog Para Reads, you'll find a um, podcast player embedded uh, for each of our podcasts so it's a handy way to listen to it if you're in the blog itself see you next time see ya thanks Nisa. the material presented in this podcast is for general information only any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker do not necessarily represent the views of city of Parramatta council city of Parramatta council is not responsible for any injury loss or damage which you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection with this podcast.